Welcome back to the Table Collective podcast, everybody. Um, I have been so looking forward to this particular episode because, you know, one of the one of the cool things uh, I don't always not, not everything I, in, about my life or anybody's life in this crazy time is cool. But one of the great things I never get to take for, I never take for granted is getting to meet and interact with some of my heroes, some of the people that have most impacted my faith, my journey. Uh, Brian McLaren is certainly one of those people. And I want to say a little bit more about him by way of introduction. But before I do that, um, I do want to say also, uh, this is going to be a especially great conversation because we've got Pastor Malika Cox, as always, uh, on the show. And then Dr. Lance Rodman is going to be tagging in for part two, which I'm so excited about. But Malika, so glad you're here. And before um, I embarrass you more, um, Brian, do, do want to first of all, just say welcome. We really are just well, so honored inviting me to have to you, my this friend. Thank you for table. being here. Mm, we're so happy to nice. have you here. We've been looking forward to this. So, <laughs> Oh, for sure. You know, so the two things I really want to say about Brian by way of introduction, because, you know, I feel like, you know, I mean, there's so much to say because it feels like um, he's written a million books. And by the way, Brian, I'm so excited about the stuff you're doing right now with The Living School. I love the new uh, podcast and I'm excited about the book that's coming up. I definitely want to talk about uh, about that, but I definitely want to say, you know, and I feel I know this is a lot of experience of, of people's experience with Brian. So I, I know it's not remotely unique, but Brian more so than anybody else. Um, he's one of those figures, um, one of those like before I ever met him, one of those like elders from afar. That I feel like what happens for so many of us, it's like Brian gives you the perfect language for all of these things that you feel. And you feel like you're 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 crazy, and there's something wrong with you. And then Brian's able to articulate things and connect things in a way that your soul just says, "Yes." I mean, I remember because I was reading all these in real time. I read New Kind of Christian uh, right. right after it came out, which I guess would be 2001. And uh, and man, I, and I remember like feeling so seen and so known, and and it moved me. Then the sequel of that book, story we find ourselves in. I sobbed through. And by the time I got to the last word and the word after that, I was it really <laughs> felt like, okay, I think I'm going to be all right. I mean, it was like the five-year journey <laughs> of that trilogy just felt like life-saving for me. And I, I just can't say enough about how much that altered the trajectory of my life. And I, I also just really need to say, Brian, because this is a really big deal, um, uh, maybe as much so as anything philosophical or, or theological. I think one of the reasons that made me feel <laughs> safe, like, okay, about going on the journey that I've been on. And, you know, Brian, I'm really not in a weird way putting you on a pedestal or something that's like you know, not human or whatever. <laughs> but I've seen you, I, like I've, I've listened to what feels like thousands of interviews and seen so many interactions. And so that includes the real rough and tumble stuff <laughs> with really mean, angry fundamentalists and also the most call random sort of call out uh, kind of stuff from um, really hurt, angry progressives and all that kind of stuff. And Brian is the most genuinely kind, tender warm in a way that always for me just felt so genuinely like Jesus. It was like, you know mm -hmm. what? Um, there is no way this is not what the spirit of God sounds like. And that this direction can't be good if it shapes people that have a heart like that. Like I, like I want, 
I want to be like this person. I want to have a spirit like that. So I just want you to know just how much that's that's well, meant that's to me. That's kind of you to say, Brian, just your witness and, and, over uh, the years. It, it's encouraging. And as I say, l- let's just lower our expectations. <laughs> <laughs> they are not lowered, oh, sorry. Thanks, <laughs> Still very high. <laughs> well, I just want you to feel uh, how much we appreciate you, but just to not just embarrass you the whole time, um, we'll, we'll jump into actual stuff. And one of the reasons, you know, and I know I even throwing out that this, you know, we want to talk about community today, which now I feel like is such a broad word and a buzzword can seem like everything and nothing. But but one of the reasons I was um, especially looking forward to having this kind of space with you is I feel like, okay, so like what we're do, doing in Oklahoma City and looking to do elsewhere as well, um, we it, it's been such a weird time. I mean, we, we, we've tried to pioneer a space um, and what a weird time. I mean, we existed in terms of doing some kind of weekly gatherings for about a year um, before the pandemic, so we've done things virtually, basically as long as as not. Start, of course, to to gather in person a bit more, but not just the pandemic. The seismic shift in the last few years, which it seems to me the data is not even keeping up with in real time, in terms of just how devastating the loss in terms of how many people are deeply disillusioned with faith, faith system, faith communities. Um, it's such a weird time to try to carve out any kind of Christian community and figure out what does the character of those communities look like? What should it look like? Where is any of it going? And um, so I'll just pitch you that softball first. Like, what are you seeing right now in terms of just where the shape of the church is going in this really yeah, volatile yeah. moment, particularly uh, well, in a North American uh, Let's context. talk about a small and easy question. Let me say <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> something broad, and then we can go as specific as you'd like. But, you know, I think the real story of what's happening right now is that we're, we're not just at the a- end of an era. I think we're at the end of uh, an age in the sense of uh, the end of this project that some philosophers call the axial age that goes from the first, you know, the classical Greek period, 300, 400 BC, also the time of the Buddha, um, all the way up through Christian history to today. Um, you, you might say we're at the end of civilization as we know it, because civilization as we know it is based on the exploitation of the earth and the exploitation of the poor. And, um, uh, we're at a point where we can no longer exploit the earth without revenge uh, in the form of climate change. I don't mean revenge in a malicious, malicious sense, but we are reaping and we will reap what we sow. If we sow carbon into the atmosphere, we will reap higher temperature. And, and also, mm-hmm. we are concentrating so much wealth in so few people. Um, uh, and so many people are left farther and farther behind, that that is instability that creates resentment. And resentment then uh, attaches on every different, uh, on every difference that we we have, uh, so that we then begin turning on each other. And this resurgence of white supremacy and this vicious Christian white supremacy, uh, all of this, it seems to me, these are parts of the, the death rattles of the end of an age. People aren't going to let go easily, um, and they're afraid of what what comes ahead. And when people are afraid and in a time of great change, you have two very obvious responses. You have a conservative response, which says, no, we don't want a different future. We want to go back to the old and better past. 
And there's another response that says, look, the future might be tough, but we can't go back. So we've got to start leaning forward. And that difference, that just very simple difference, I think we see in politics. I think we see in in religion, not just Christianity. There are parallel conversations and struggles in Judaism and Islam and and Buddhism and so on. Um, We see it in economics. I mean, every sphere of life, we see this. And that, to me, is instead of just even saying, which side are you on? Although I think there is some of that. um, I think we just have to say, of Mm. course, these are stressful times. We're at the end of one whole chapter of human civilization. Mm. Wow. That's so good. Um, I've been feeling that same thing again, what Jonathan said about not being able to kind of say the language, but I, I think that's been kind of, um, you've said exactly what's happening right now. And so when we started to try to build this community, um, it has been really difficult to try to do something that looked mm. anything like we've seen before um, because people don't want to come on a Sunday. You know, we're not, you know, when it comes to finances and hierarchy, we don't really have that. We've done that intentionally, um, but it's difficult. So I guess I love this quote that you have um, faith before doubt. It's about correct beliefs and then faith after doubt. It's about revolutionary love. And so I guess my question is when it comes to community and building it after the pandemic or not even building it, I'm not even sure that's the right term right now. Uh, if it's going to be organic or recultivating or regrowing, how do we build something? Sorry. How yeah. do we cultivate something around this concept of revolutionary love, particularly when people have been so rooted in kind of this what institutional idea of correct Rika. beliefs. Mm. Uh, and I, I, if I drift away from answering it, please bring me back. But I, I just have to tell you a quick story about this. So, you know, I wrote this book, <laughs> Faith After Doubt, and I talk about four stages of faith. And I talk about the need to create um, uh, four stage communities. In other words, communities that are led by people in the fourth stage of that I call harmony, but that make room for people in the previous three stages of simplicity, mm-hmm. complexity, and perplexity. So I wrote about this and it's what I believe. And I've been getting really interesting uh, contacts since the book came out. Uh, one pastor just sent me an email the other day and said, I, I can't believe it. You've described the struggle of these last years. Uh, and I think we have paid the price but I, uh, and, and lost a lot of people. But I think we're becoming one of these four stage communities. And then he said, we, he said, we have been bigger, but we've never been better. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was a, a nice way to say it. I think that was yesterday. Wow. And then today I just got another <laughs> email like this. Um, but uh, so all that's going on. But I got contacted by this woman who is apparently a kind of a top business consultant. And I won't mention the company for her privacy sake, but a, a company that, whose name everybody knows. And she's obviously very, very smart. And she said, when I read your book, I thought these are the kind of problems I deal with, with tech companies and you know businesses. She said, have you ever... Uh, you know, used any of these technologies of the way we help businesses plan their future to help churches. And she's a committed Christian herself, but she can't find a church uh, mm. where she feels there's any, you know, space for her to be who she is. So um, two, two or three of us have uh, actually three or four of us have been in a couple of conversations now exactly about this. And 
we decided based on her experience that the way to start was to say, if we were designing a church only for people in stage three perplexity, what would that church look like? And I'm going to guess that your congregation mm-hmm. is attracting a lot of people in that stage three of perplexity. Um, these are the people who are deconstructing. These are the people who are looking for a congregation mm-hmm, because they aren't welcome in so many other congregations. And it's not easy. Folks in this stage have, uh, they really need uh, community, but they also tend to be hard on community. Uh, I, and I describe what, some of the reasons why um, in the book, and we could talk mm-hmm. about this if you want. But then we said, if we could start there, then we'd say, how could that kind of a congregation be expanded to help people in that fourth stage of harmony? And then after we dis- dis- discover mm-hmm. that, how could they then make room for people in the first stages of simplicity and complexity? But we had to make this proviso. We couldn't, you could not make room for traditional Christians who are in simplicity and complexity because they have been trained to reject Mm. anything other than what they are. Um, And I don't think that has to be true, but it is true now. And, um, and so all that's to say, Malika, I think what you all are trying to do is absolutely important, but it is really, really difficult. And I don't have to tell you that we're, we're working against a lot. Uh, It's like a friend of mine said, (laughs) we're, we're trying to, um, one friend said, we're trying to re- rebuild uh, or renovate an airport while we're still having planes landing and departing. And another said, it's like dancing on a moving floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. It does uh, make you feel better to hear that, though. Mm, it does. It really does. <laughs> it? Oh, oh, for sure. Well, you know, because uh, I'm thinking, Brian, I mean, even thinking about it that way in terms of it whether or not it's possible or if, it, if it's possible to really welcome people or for um to people to find community together right now yeah. who are in these different faith stages because you know one of the things i love about and i feel like it's always marked your work i mean i feel there's always been like a generosity to it because you know i've seen over the years i've seen you in a lot of q and a's and uh, and again i feel like you always make space for what everybody feels so you know i've seen people who've been very burn very hurt maybe more like on an ex-evangelical kind of track and it's kind of like yeah let's uh so let's kind of burn everything down who needs i mean I feel like always there's a way that you're like the kind of well father royal talk about transcendent include there's you're always trying to make trying to bring people um together into the same space at the table etc but now we're in this moment where it feels like um and i feel like you were gesturing here so often where people if they're in that stage of simplicity we'll see people who are in yes. more of the stage of complexity as being the enemy precisely because of, 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 of their welcoming complexity. So like, th- those are the questions we really are wrestling with. Like, can you have people who are in that stage and in that stage of complexity in the same yes. room and, and, this and have community where together? There's so much I'd like to say about that, Jonathan. But first, I, I just think you're asked, this is the kind of question we have to ask. And I think we have to be realistic. So, I'm about to sound a little bit depressing, but I I don't think it's depressing. I think it's realistic. Um, First, I want to say that uh, I don't think this is necessarily true, that people in simplicity and complexity cannot accept people at later stages. Um, They could under different circumstances. Let me give you an Mm. example. People in simplicity tend to be oriented around authority figures, and they like easy answers. 
that's just where they are. It, it, you, you know, when you're a child or if this, if this is the way you've been taught to see Christianity, all the answers are easy and you're just looking for an authority figure to tell you what the easy answers are, right? Well, let's imagine that you had authority figures who said the most important thing in life is love. In fact, love is more important than faith and love is more important than hope. In fact, without love, you are nothing. In fact, the greatest commandment is to love. Love God, love yourself, love other people, love the earth. Love is what this thing is all about. That's the simplest and most important truth you'll ever hear. Now, if we had authoritative leaders teaching children that from their youngest childhood, they would grow through the stages in a very different way. But what we have is in the Christian faith mm. is we have stage one leaders who are saying, you're going to hell unless you believe exactly what I tell you. And I'm telling you because I have the book and the right interpretation of the book that has all the answers. And if you disagree with me, you're of the devil, right? That's what the stage one leaders we have are telling people right now. And, and so when right. we just say, okay, if people are in stage one, and they're part and they're under the authority of leaders like that. And they're parts of communities that if they raise even one question, they'll be kicked out of the community or blackballed from the community or all kinds of pressure will be put upon them. It's unrealistic to expect that they're going to be able to change until they're ready to. And then guess what will happen? They'll move from stage one to stage two. But then in stage two, they'll have, we're growing, we're this, we're, you know, because stage two is about pragmatism and and results and effectiveness. And so they'll be intoxicated by that for a while. And it's funny, but that's only because of that form of stage one and stage two. When they get to stage three, we'll be here waiting for them. Mm. <laughs> and I don't think there's mm. any. I, that's and, great. And the funny Gosh. thing is, if you have that wow. in mind, and then you go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it'll say, of course, this is. And then you look at Jesus' strategy in this. And mm. now Jesus looks really interesting. Um, mm. and, 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 and in a certain sense, you say, of course, that's the way he had to communicate. Uh, it's, it's why he needed to speak. And it's one reason he spoke in parables, mm. because the parable is the very opposite of an easy answer. It's not something that tells you what to think. It's something mm. that sucks you into thinking. <laughs> mm. well, <yeah. laughs> I love that. Um, I've, can I, I just want to ask, will you, will you go in a little more depth here about yes. that stage of harmony and what that looks so like? What happens when you're um, in perplexity is that you have to go through a period of doubt and deconstruction. The third, this, that's what this third stage is about. And very often you turn backwards and you necessarily have to say what those people taught me in stage one was not only f incomplete, it was false and it was harmful. Not everything, but some things I was taught were false and harmful. And then they look at stage two and they said, all those things that we were really effective at, it's like we built a ladder against the wrong building. So you go back and do that kind of, that kind of critique of your mm -hmm. earlier stages. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's, that's necessary. But something happens to a lot of people in stage three after a while. They say, okay, I've criticized everybody else. What am I going to do? What, what, how am I going to live? I, I, it's, I can't spend the rest of my life just talking about how bad those guys are. What am I going to build? And what, am, how, what choices am I going to make? Yeah. What risks am right. I going to take? 
And um, knowing that maybe someday people will have the same critiques of me that I have of these other people, but I have to live very often. It's having children that pushes people mm-hmm. into this or starting a church or starting an organization, uh, you know, a nonprofit or something like that. But how am I going to live? And when you start asking that question and you reach the conclusion that the way I want to live is the way of love, that it seems to me is what brings you to the frontiers of this stage four. Another way to say it a little more negatively is to say, I've, I've been mm. critical for, for the last you know f- five or 10 years of my life. And when I become critical of my own critical attitude, or I've been skeptical for the last five years of my life, mm. and now I become skeptical about my own skeptical attitude. Mm. Uh, you understand? I've been cynical, and now I become cynical yeah. about my own cynicism. <laughs> In yeah. a sense, I take the tool of deconstruction that I've used to deconstruct everybody yeah. else, and the only one left is myself, and now I deconstruct myself. That, in a sense, is what thrusts a person out of stage three. And they do one of two things. They either revert to a stage one or stage two group in a more cultic way, or they progress mm. in, into stage four. Mm. And I'll just say, I think part of our political polarization right now is a lot of confused people who in a sense maybe made it into stage two or stage three and got afraid. And so they reverted back into a fanatical stage one kind of commitment just because they don't know what to do. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yes. That's so good. Uh, yeah. Cause you see people and you, you know them to be people who are kind and caring and yet they mm-hmm. seem to almost double yes. down on something that That's you're right. shocked about. And that and makes it, so much sense. It does, especially if it's out of fear, you know, if mm-hmm. this, if, if the world feels so decent, if that, yes. if that certainty brings the kind of stabilization that you feel like you're like, cause I feel like, or, well, I'm seeing all the time are people who, you know, when they're confronted with individual stories or people will, can be so kind and caring and gracious, but it's mm-hmm. like, we try to connect those individual stories into something larger. It just seems to kind of melt their, their brains in some way. Um, I really want to ask you this, Brian, because I don't know what you, I really don't know what you'd say to this. I think it's certainly one of the questions we're grappling with. And um, I imagine you get questions like this a lot. So since, and I, I think it's so helpful to think about this whole idea of stages as opposed mm-hmm. to people are just, you know, right or wrong. Everybody's at different stages. And I, and if I think about it that way, because, you know, Brian, I feel like myself, like uh, I'm not to the extent that you are, but I think maybe just a sliver of this you know, I operate at all these really interesting intersections. So it's like I'm talking to plenty of kind of ex-evangelical kind of Christians and more white progressive, for lack of a better way to put it, wild goose-ish kind of Christians. But I'm so deeply personally tethered kind of to black church prophetic stuff. And, you know, people like Otis Moss III and Trinity Church of Christ has been so influential to me. And, you know, and you see how oftentimes when people are at different stages in their development, um, how they can get kind of stuck there. And then they're not hearing from another tradition or another perspective or another side of the story. Do people, do you find like in your work beyond, I know you, you know, obviously you're putting about just the process of putting out books and podcasts in and of itself is nudging people along, but in terms of people that, you know, do you find like, is it helpful to try to nudge people along if they're stuck somewhere on a journey or some of this stuff, like until you hit some kind of a crisis moment in your life, you don't move forward. Like, is it helpful to have people like, do, do you find yourself 
wanting to come alongside <laughs> people and trying to like kind of pry yeah. them out of where they are yeah. and push them forward? Or does that well, never work? Like, what do you do with sure, that? Very seldom do you ever challenge a person in simplicity or complexity and they say, oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Because, you know, <laughs> especially, and here, there's a dark side of right. community, um, Jonathan, when you think about it this way, um, if you're in a stage one community and you were, there are easy answers to everything and everything's, you know, in, out, us, them, friend, enemy, that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. God, the devil, in that kind of uh, dualistic framework, if, if I start to influence somebody um, I ruin their life because now all their friends turn against them and their pastor is, you know, uh, concerned about them and, and they get kicked off the, you know, adult education committee or whatever it is. Right. So uh, I think it's important to realize that the, these <laughs> transitions have a social dimension and community sometimes holds people back. Um, if you see what I mean. Um, but here's what I think. Uh, I, I reflect in my own mm. experience. I, I don't think I put this in the book. You, uh, now I, I, I should remember, but I was about 19 years old. I was invited to this Christian event. It was a luncheon. Uh, and I was seated next to a famous author. And I was so impressed with this guy. And I, I, I was trying to impress him with how great I was. And after he listened to me for a while, he said, uh, you know, Brian, when I was your age, I knew a lot more than I know now. <laughs> and that's all he said. And and what I realized <laughs> is he was listening to me blather on and try to impress him. And he was trying to think, how can I help this person? If I tell him he sounds like an arrogant, you know, whatever, I'll just defend him. So what he did is he made a vulnerable statement that was troubling and perplexing to me. Um, because literally I thought, hold it. I thought this guy was a leader. He's supposed to be way ahead of me. He's supposed to know more than me. What is he saying? Uh, you know, and it, it, it troubled me, but that's what Jesus did with the parables. So I think we have to be willing to trouble people in, in a, in a constructive way. Does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it might be so simply saying something mm-hmm. like, I know you see it that way. Now I used to see it that way too. I don't anymore. And then stop there. And, and, and they'll probably, their first reaction will be, you know, you're a heretic, you're a bad person, whatever. But what you've just done is given them a gift. You differed with them without needing to persuade them that you're right. And that very experience of having someone differ mm. with you, but not, but unconditionally loving you. So, you, you know, you don't, that, that in itself is like an mm. experience that might help you come to a new place. I also think, a lot of us have to be more forthcoming. Um, and I, I think we, those of us who have a platform, and by the way, Jonathan, I don't know if I've gotten to tell you this, but um, I, I think it was right after January 6th, uh, I heard your, the, uh, uh, you know, the podcast. I just thought you did a masterful job of taking your stand and of, uh, of saying what was your truth to say. And, I think that's one of the ways that, in a sense, somebody might not say, I'm currently, you know, a, a, a white Christian nationalist, and now I see the error of my ways and I repent. It, they might not be ready to do that, but they say, wow, there are Christians who don't see things the way I do. And in a sense, you 
that becomes an exit ramp mm-hmm. if they're ever ready to take it. <laughs> mm, that's so yes. good, Brian. Oh, oh my gosh. That's so great. And that was a big deal, by the way. You did actually, I don't remember even what form it was, but you tagged me in something and said something encouraged the time. And I can't tell you how much it meant because, of course, you know, I think I said things starkly enough then. The pushback was pretty severe. It was kind of like it. It just felt so. I just, you know, again, I think we those kind of elder figures in your life. Um, I can't tell you how much that encouragement meant. But I'm just, I'm just really struck. And I, Malika, while we're um, before we wrap up first half, I want to give you space for anything else you want to ask or, you know, say to Brian. But I'm just thinking about this whole thing because I really do feel like that's profound. Um, kind of responding from this posture of humility and unconditional love. I do, because, you know, I feel like, so, especially when people are coming from that place of certainty, I know sometimes at the time that may not necessarily be fully appreciated, but I do feel like it's it's like something about that that stays with people, the security of someone who's not rattled, who's grounded and caring. And there's something about that kind of non-anxious presence that sort of, I mean, I feel like, you know, that that's always been my thing about what you do. It's not just um, what you say, but the, but the way that you say it. So I don't know. I think, and I have a, there is a question somewhere in here. I think I'm just thinking about how, you know, especially when um, in, in context where there's pushback, I do have a concern sometimes, you know, that, because because I've done it so many times myself that I find myself because I I legitimately am angry about things that are happening or, you know, you're in that stage where you feel betrayed because uh, of things that you taught or the way that you were uh, formed to kind of see the the way some of these things have played out where it's really easy then to engage some of this stuff in the same energy with the, and I, I just feel like sometimes, especially for those of us who are on this more open journey, it seems like there's something that we need to be challenged with in that. That sort of I often think about the thing that Jesus says about like casting yes. out Satan. How you can't how Satan can't cast out Satan. It's like if you can't oh, man, you can't I address that, that energy with the same fact, energy. Does that make that sense? Helps me understand why. I, I have a little script for this that I, you know, try to teach people because a lot of us are are unfamiliar with how to do it. And I think be, just in in these times, uh uh, you know. With this resurgence of white Christian nationalism, uh, we need white people to learn how to stand up to other white people, but to do it without just imitating the energy. And so my little script is, wow, I see that differently. Mm. Um, And uh, it's very different than you're wrong or Mm. you're an idiot or you're this, you know, it's not an accusation or an attack. It's it's a, a confession and it's a vulnerable statement, but it's a courageous statement. Wow. I see that differently. Um, and then very often people yes. will respond by saying, well, what do you mean? And uh, sometimes what I try to do is I say, I would be glad to explain that to you some other time, but I'd rather not do it right now. If you contact me you know, in a couple of days or something, I'll be glad to explain it. And, and very often that just you know, either makes them mad or more curious, mm-hmm. but I'm, and I'm happy to explain it to them if they contact me. And I say, listen, I didn't want to get in an argument with you, especially if other people are around. Um, Cause I don't think people learn much when they argue. Um, so I, but I, what I did, I wanted you to know that I, I wanted to register that I don't see it the way you see it, but I, um, uh, and I wanted to set a stage where we could have a conversation rather than an argument. 
Um, so if you're really curious about how I see it, I'll be glad to share it with you. But I need you to know I won't love you any less if you aren't interested or if you know you don't agree. But the one thing I'm not interested in is having an argument with you because in arguments, my pride goes to battle with your pride. And when pride is fighting pride, uh, only pride can win. Right. <laughs> and that's the energy that we don't need. Mm, wow. That's so good. Well, I know we're going to wrap up our first session, but I just want to, what I really want to say is, is thank you. Thank you so much for um, <laughs> being a Sherpa, being one who's been up at the mountain and is able to take us up the mountain. And I love that you put words around these stages. Just, I was raised by sweet little agnostic hippies who hmm. tell me I can believe anything I want and then faced a very severe trauma and came into the church and I was so clearly in the stage of simplicity and loved it, you know, fell in love with the whole concepts around yes. it, especially coming out of trauma. And then, of course, hitting complexity. And I will say the pain that I experienced going into perplexity was like losing a parent. I've lost a parent. It, it was such a grieving time. But I do think when you're trying to get over the hump of being called a heretic and like, are you going to keep walking the journey or are you going to go back to simplicity? It's, it's leaders like you um, and Jonathan and other people who've gone forth, but you can tell by their spirit. It's like, I may have to take the label heretic, but I can tell yeah. by the spirit that this is where God is. And, mm. and so I just want to say thank you so much. Cause I feel I've, you know, especially with, you know, us starting the table a couple of years ago, I feel, you know, so much more that my life is wrapped around this whole concept of love. And, um, yes. and it would have been easy to go back to simplicity. So just thank you so much <laughs> that for <laughs> leaders like, the, uh, like you who are able to lead us on up the mountain. And um, I guess well, that's I all that I have to say, lot. but I just wanted to say. You know, I'll tell you an interesting thing for me these last uh, probably seven or eight years. I've been a lot more involved in some interfaith or multi-faith groups. And it's so interesting to hear Jews going through the same struggles in the Jewish community and Muslims going through the same struggles in the Muslim community. And uh, mm. I have friends who used to be Christians and now consider themselves atheists or agnostics. And then they say, Actually, there are stage one atheists and, and uh, uh, you know, out there too. And so then you realize, wow. yeah, these are, this, wow. these are not just Christian problems. They're human problems. And we sure see them play out politically, don't we? So, um, and when we, when we see it that way, again, it makes me go back really and do. I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And even I read Acts and, and Paul's writings. And I realize this is what they're doing. They're trying to help people take the next step. Uh, toward maturity. And, uh, and you remember how Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of John, mm -hmm. um, I have a lot more to tell you, but you're just not ready for it yet. You couldn't handle it. And, and that's this reminder. <laughs> we, we can only mm. handle so much right. where we are. And then when we handle what we can receive now, we'll be ready for a little bit more. Mm, mm. That's so good. That's gorgeous, Brian. <sighs> thank you, well, Brian. Yes, thank you. And what a wonderful part one for our conversation on community. Thank you, Malika. Thank you, Brian. This thank is so you. just enriched my own soul. And I'm glad we have a part two to look forward to. So, yes. Uh, and thank you for being part of this, Malika. It's so, so oh my wonderful. Gosh. You couldn't have kept me from that, Jonathan. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, this has just been beautiful, friends, and we'll look forward to uh, picking up soon with part two.